Hello, everybody. This is Pastor Dale Walker. I want to welcome you to our leadership podcast. We are looking at how to become leaders that lead like Jesus. I'm excited to have you listening. If you want the notes on this, you can get them at dalewalker.life. There's also a lot of other resources to help you grow in your leadership. Share this with someone if you are blessed. I know you will be. God bless you. Hi, everybody. Well, we're wrapping up our class on foundational beliefs or objections to Christianity. And today we're talking about uh, legalism in the gospel. Uh, what a wonderful time we've had, especially we were here discussing with leaders of our alpha tables. And I'm anxious to hear more about some of the questions that they were able to answer through this time of discussion. I want to just highlight two things. One, this is the time if you want this class for credit that you would uh, turn in or prepare your final exam. Let me just say what that is. And, and that is I'm asking you to write a paper, at least two or three pages, that is your own uh, treaties or manifesto of I believe that this is true from God's word in spite of the fact that people object. And you can choose one of the topics we've already covered, something like uh, the Trinity or Jesus is the only way or there's no contradiction between God is good and suffering or why I believe the Bible is inerrant. Or it can be something you want to address personally, evolution and creation, uh, I don't know, why celibacy before marriage is right, uh, homosexuality, any number of issues. But I'd love for you to, to, to write this as an apologist, meaning as someone who gives a defense for what you believe. And uh, if you can turn that in by June 23rd, uh, that would be great. Today, uh, also, I want to mention what, what's going to happen next. Of course, uh, summer is here as far as the general Bible school classes. But I do want to let you know that uh, starting the, the week after this, we are starting what we call transformation tables that I'm very excited about. And they're going to just cover the heart issues of leadership. Our vision is to multiply leaders. And as I've said many times, two are better than one if they have the same heart. <laughs> if they're divided, it's not so. So I'm going to share our core values and how you lead people in transportation, uh, transformation, changing from the inside out. And I'm also going to be doing some teaching on what I call transformation coaching as a supplement. Um, this will be taking place on a, both on a Wednesday night and on Saturday morning. So please check out if you're, let us know if you're interested in one of the transformation tables. Today, as I mentioned, we're talking about legalism. Um, here's the objection. Does Christianity make people guilt-ridden and more judgmental? <laughs> I remember number of years ago, the show The Simpsons. And, uh, they're watching these neighbors of theirs going to youth camp and they ask each other, uh, where are they going? Oh, they're going to go learn how to be more judgmental. And uh, unfortunately, a lot of people think of Christianity. So when we talk about removing blindfolds, one of the blinds, blindfolds that really distort uh, people's ability to know God or uh, to come back to the Lord is this idea of 
legalism, uh, seeing Christianity as a religion, not a relationship with God. Many people have become turned off to the church. It's reading an article, what happens when, when you know, bad Christians happen to good people? It just talks about how so many people in our society today will say, yeah, I'm okay with Jesus, but I don't like Christians. Many times it goes back to what we're talking about today, a legalistic attitude uh, that is a distortion of Christianity. I heard recently that there's a new support group called ACOZE, Adult Children of Overzealous Evangelicals. It's kind of funny, but it's kind of sad because there are people who are in therapy because of religious parents. There's also many people who have become disillusioned with the church. Some of you might remember the book a generation ago, I Kissed Dating Goodbye. Unfortunately, recently, the author of that book uh, went live and said he doesn't believe in Christ anymore. He's not a Christian anymore. Part of it, if, even if you read that book, you know, back when, uh, there was a lot of legalism in that whole thing. Oftentimes, what happens is when there's legalism, it dilutes confuses and many times stumbles and turns people off to a real relationship with God. So let's just talk about what legalism is and why it's such a problem. You know, from the very beginning, there's been a conflict between religion and relationship with God. You see it all through the Bible. There's, there's Cain and Abel. One is works and the other is grace. You see Mount Zion and Mount Sinai, two mountains, Ishmael and Isaac. Then obviously Jesus and the Pharisees and the Apostle Paul and the Judaizers. Books like Galatians and many of the apostles, of the epistles rather, are written specifically uh, to address this problem. Paul called it a counterfeit gospel. He said, that many people in their day had come to people who at first were Gentiles, they got saved, and they were full of the Lord, and then the religious zealots came in there and said, well, if you're really gonna be a Christian, you gotta A, B, C, you gotta get circumcised, keep the Jewish law. And so Paul writes these letters and says, no, no, this is a counterfeit. It's such a challenge that Jesus in Luke 12, 1, said, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And I, I think that's a very interesting phrase. One, it tells us um, why it's so dangerous. Leaven, or, you know, it's kind of like, it's like the unseen thing that you would put in bread that would make it rise. When the, re the leaven of religion comes in, you, you don't notice it by its package. Um, because... It, 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 it sounds right. They use the Bible. They quote scriptures. But it's the right package, but the wrong heart, the wrong application. The Bible says the letter kills, the law kills, but the Spirit gives life. It looks like on the outside that they're saying things that are, yes, this is right. This is how you're supposed to behave. But they're doing it from a standpoint of works and not grace. Paul calls it in one place, the ministry of condemnation. And another fallacy of this is what's so, so odd is that though it sounds controlling and, and demanding, 
rather than defeat sinful impulses in, in us of our flesh, it actually fuels them. In Romans 7, Paul talks about this. In verse 17, he said, When I was under the law, when I was trying to serve God by performance, the things that I wanted to do, I didn't do. And the things that I hated, that's what I actually did. The Bible says that the law, it stirs us to sin, you know, because it challenges us in our own righteousness, in our own personal fleshly ability to try to do what only can be done by the Holy Spirit working in us. It's almost like I've joked about telling a class, whatever you do right now, don't think of green purple monkeys. It's almost like the moment you tell someone not to think of purple monkeys, guess what they're thinking? <laughs> I remember as a young Christian, uh, as a teenage boy struggling with lust, and I got up and I said, I'm going to have no lustful thoughts. Whatever I do today, I will not think a lustful thought. In fact, I'm going to count how many times. Guess what? The more I thought about not lusting, the more I lusted. Anyhow, it's, it's a trap. But the other thing is that it leads sincere Christians to one of two false places. One is hypocrisy. You become like a Pharisee. You pretend to do it on the outside while you're still under bondage on the inside. Or it leads to despair. An over-scrupulous conscience, doubts about your salvation, high levels of anxiety, separation from intimacy with God. I know this very personally because I went through a, a phase of which legalism snuck into my life. In, in this particular case, it had to do with, with divorce and some very legalistic teaching that through a long series of things ended up with me as a pastor thinking that because I had done weddings for divorced people, I had uh, you know sinned and caused people to sin. It led to... Well, how do you know that you're really a Christian? How do you know anything that you've done? And it was, it, it, it spurred in me this over-scrupulous conscience, always worried, fearful, guilty, ultimately depressed, and took a major deliverance uh, from the spirit of legalism to get free. This is something that you see in many religious systems and in many religious leaders. Paul would warn people over and over, watch out for these. You know, he called them, you know, whatever, Judaizers. had a lot of negative things to say about them. But basically, they come in among you, and though they, they have the right words, they truly end up seeking wrong control and being guilty of forms of spiritual abuse in your life. I often said, what would have happened if the elder brother had been the prodigal son's father? He would, have, he would have probably never got restored. He would have gone on an endless circle of trying to earn back his salvation. Let me caution, of course, on the other side of legalism is liberalism. The, uh, the old thing, let's sin. <laughs> Go ahead and sin all you want because grace will abound. And, and, you know, we see many churches going towards a permissive gospel, which is just another form of bondage. I will say that I think this is an interesting quote by Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones when he is uh, unpacking that verse in Romans 6 where Paul is accused of saying in his preaching, shall we go on sinning? Uh, 
And uh, people were twisting Paul's words about grace. And what Dr. Jones said, he says, if the gospel you preach never causes people to ask that question, you're not preaching the grace of God the way Paul did. <laughs> and, and isn't it true? If, if, if there's not grace where people could twist your words, then, then you're not preaching what Paul preached because that's what they did with his teaching. I, I just love to point out to people, if the devil can't make you rebellious, he's going to try to make you religious. This immediately quenches the Holy Spirit and leads to all forms of spiritual deadness and lifeness. So what's the difference? If you're trying to help someone uh, distinguish between law and grace or between uh, legalism and, and the gospel, what's the key differences? The key heart of it is what Paul refers to over and over. What, what is the basis of our righteousness? Uh, the word righteousness means our standing before God. Uh, some, someone used the term resume because I thought that was good. An idea, this is why God, you should love me or honor me. Uh, this is why I can be blessed. If, if the source of your righteousness is your good works or your performance, or I like to say your scorecard, then you are a legalist. You're constantly like the, the horse going for the carrot on the stick. You're, you're never settled on exactly where or how God accepts you. You're in a constant state of consciousness that your view of who God is and how he feels about you is, is changing. Some days God's pleased with you. Some days you are the scum of the earth. The problem is you never do get to the carrot. When is good enough? And the enemy just has a field day on this because he is the accuser of the brethren. And he does help you with condemnation. Some people cover this up and become, become people who compare to others and say, well, compared to them, I'm good. And so they put more legalism on others in order to feel good about themselves. One of the tragic things is through the years where I have found deep dysfunction in people, it has often occurred in some of the most religious people I've known who had these deep, dark secrets and actually covered uh, and hid it under legalism. And it became doubly toxic. It not only, you know, say it was a, a sin of pornography or even of abusing people. It, it not only drove evil thoughts and actions, but it, it was unapproachable in terms of the grace of God dealing with it in their life. The problem with a works righteousness is that when you're standing before God is based on what your account is, your credit score will never be good enough. But the grace of God says that our standing before God is completely apart from us and anything that we have done or will do, it's based on what Jesus has done. It is finished. It is the model that says Jesus ran the race and he gives us the gold medal. It completely stands on its own. Our standing before God is in Christ. It is not in how did I do in my quiet time this week or how did I manage my temper. It's completely separate from that. It is only and completely that Christ is my righteousness. I love the prayer that said, that talks about, it. he says, he lived the life I should have lived and he died the death that I should die so that I can have the standing before God 
and be counted as if I were as righteous as he. Lay your deadly doing down, down at Jesus' feet. Rest in him alone, your righteousness complete. I love that. See, many people repent of their bad sins. They never repent of their dead works. And those dead works actually are what cause us to live in unbelief of God's grace and cut us and others off of the change that God would bring. Dead works, I said, are like offering my righteousness to God to pay for my sin is like paying, saying, God, can I pay you $20 for crucifying your son? That's outrageous that you could pay God by doing something that cost him his only son as proof that there was no other way rather than receiving and being humbled and, and leveled by his grace, you are now claiming some righteousness of your own. Here are some key differentials to help people discern between the two. The gospel is not good advice. The gospel is good news. Good advice is about giving people self-help remedies. Well, you ought to do this. I sometimes call it the tyranny of the oughts. People laying these yokes on you. This is what you should be. If you were really a Christian, if you really loved Jesus, if Christ was first in your life, and then blah, 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 that caused people to begin to walk under a yoke. No, the gospel is good news. News speaks of something that's past. It's happened. The gospel has nothing to do with today's performance. It is about a covenant that was made on your behalf between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It is like an adoption, the Bible says. You don't choose who's going to adopt you. They choose you. It's like an inheritance. You did nothing to earn, but it's granted to you completely as a beneficiary because of love, because of the works of another on your behalf. The ethics of grace or true Christianity is not grit and obligation, but gratitude. It's the revelation of God's grace that the Bible says makes us able to experience a new covenant, which is having the laws of God in our heart, not being motivated in our motivational center any longer by the old nature, which was lust or greed, or the religious nature, which is desire to perform for acceptance or spiritual pride. It's to have that changed into a heart that is completely humbled by the fact that apart from anything I've done, Christ died for me. God loves me. God has chosen me. Nothing I could do would make him love me more, and nothing I could do could make him love me less. This experience that we talk about, sometimes it's a conversion. Sometimes it's like a second conversion, like I think Paul had in Romans 8, where he described where it led him to the gospel of grace. There is therefore now no condemnation, he starts off with those in Christ. For those who are led by the Spirit, <laughs> they don't give in. They have a, another inward motivating center. This causes us to, number one, no longer strive to get acceptance, but it's also not only what I say, a cognitive reality, it's an emotional awareness. Uh, Romans 5.5 5 says, it's having the love of God poured out in your hearts 
by the Holy Spirit. It's being aware in a personal, experiential way of being unconditionally loved and credited as the righteous one of God, fully based on what Christ has done. It is a freedom to truly repent, but repent not simply of sins, but of the dead kind of works and legalism that leads to this other kind of separation from God. I just want to point out Philippians 3 is one of the most awesome passages of conversion that you'll ever read in the Bible. But what is so powerful about it is that Paul does not mention his sins when he talks about his repentance. He mentions his religion. He mentions his legalism. He says, you know, what did it mean for him? In Philippians 3.3, 3, he says, it means I have turned to Christ means I no longer have any confidence in my flesh. Though, although I could have had, I was the Hebrew of Hebrews and I had this great reputation. He said, the way that I knew grace is that all that was gained to me, I counted as garbage. I, and he would say it this way. My spiritual resume that said I was better than most, at the end of it said I was unqualified to be accepted by God on any terms. I realized once and for all that my own righteousness was filthy rags. And I repented of trying to prove or see myself righteous apart from faith in Christ. And finally, he goes on in verse 13, he says, The result of this is that forgetting what's behind, I'm motivated with a new ambition. And that ambition is to fully fulfill out of love the one obligation I have to show love to people as Christ has loved me. It is the reality that grace means it is no longer I who live, but now through simply trusting him, Christ in me is living the Christian life. Here are the answers to legalism. It eliminates classes of Christians. I, I can't compare myself. If my righteousness is filthy rags or dumb, that's nothing to compare. That's nothing. I no longer see me or you as on some different standard. We are all the same at the foot of the cross. It changes our view of improvement. I no longer make New Year's resolutions. I make New Year's resignations. I know for me to get to be like Christ is not by my effort. It's by my replacement. It's by me being willing to get out of the way. It rearranges the place of obedience. I'm not obedient so I can be accepted. I learn to be accepted so that I can be obedient. My identity is not based on performance. My identity is based on Christ, who He is in me. And as a result, I don't serve God by my ability. I do it by my identity, who I know I am. It frees me from confusing the voice of fear and condemnation with the voice of my Father knowing that any voice that condemns or commands me to dig up and relive my past in some way, pay for it, or in any way have to prove or earn my righteousness is never my Father speaking, but is the voice of the enemy. For there is no more condemnation, no, not one kind of condemnation in Christ. And finally, it gives me this incredible freedom that Christianity is not about my promise to keep God's rules. It is about how I am kept by God. I don't promise God. He promises me that he will fulfill his will in my life. 
It frees me from sin consciousness to sun consciousness. I'm not keeping score anymore. I'm keeping my eyes on Jesus. He is my everything. I'm not focusing on what I'm against. I can focus on what God is for in me and others. I'm not living by performance, except therefore I can be friends of sinners and not foes of sinners. I can let mercy triumph over justice towards myself and towards other people. I can see good in others, and we can live in a relationship of affirmation and not judgment. I can break yokes of bondage, everything that I've ever done, to try to feel that I'm good enough. I can know that excellence comes not because of performance, but because I simply love and enjoy being my best for the one who's loved me first. It means criticism cannot hurt me and insecurity over my life is broken because I don't judge myself anymore for I have been judged in Christ. I love this quote from the, the famous book uh, by Watchman Nee, The Normal Christian Life. And he tells about an incredible experience he had. And let me just read it. He says, in 1923, I met a famous Canadian evangelist. I had said, sent an address, something along above lines. And as we walked back home afterwards, he remarked about Romans 7, that it's seldom taught nowadays, and it's good to hear again. He said, that day that I came to Christ, I was delivered from the law. After being a Christian for years, I had still tried my best to please God, but the more I tried, the more I failed. I regarded God as the great demander of the universe. I found myself impotent to fulfill the least of his demands. Suddenly, one day, as I read Romans 7, the light dawned, and I saw that I had not only been delivered from sin, but from the law as well. In my amazement, I jumped up and said, Lord, are you really making no demands on me? Then I need do nothing more for you. God's requirements have not altered, but we are not the ones to meet them. Praise God, he is the lawgiver on the throne, and he is the law keeper in my heart. He who gave the law himself keeps it. He makes the demands, but he meets the demands. And he has already fulfilled them on my behalf, so I can consider myself righteous, and I can trust his Holy Spirit to keep fulfilling it through me. As long as we are trying to do anything, God can do nothing. It is because of our trying that we fail and fail and fail. God wants to demonstrate to us that we can do nothing at all until that is fully recognized and our despair and disillusion will never cease until it is. A brother who was trying to struggle into victory remarked to me one day, I do not know why I am so weak. The trouble with you, I said, is that you are weak, not weak enough to do the will of God. You are not weak enough to keep out of things altogether. When you are reduced to utter weakness and are persuaded that you can do nothing, whatever, then God will do everything. We all need to come to that point where we say, Lord, I am unable to do anything for thee, but I trust thee to do everything in and through me. As you seek to help people, ask questions about why do they think God's proud of them? Why do they think God will say that he wants to reward them or he wants to be with them? Find out if they have a works approach. As you help take off the blindfold of legalism, you will find that it often involves lots of self-forgiveness 
you will have to teach people to take self off the throne in many ways. One of the biggest ways is to reveal that so much of their self-condemnation is really pride. It's not that they, uh, that they fail, that they feel so guilty. It's that they want to think of themselves as so much better than that. They have to be willing to admit, apart from God, I really am a failure. Forgiveness also is, involves many times those who've been legalistic in their life and shamed them. And it means the breaking off of many lies. This is often a process for though we get grace, it seems like we forget it very quickly. And we need to come again and again, both for our own sake and to be able to help others know the difference between grace and legalism. The Lord bless you as you learn to walk in your freedom in Christ. Amen and amen. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Pastor Dale's Leadership Podcast. It is our hope that you have been inspired in a great way. We encourage you to stay tuned for future content. May God bless you richly.